and welcome to Write Swap, the best podcast by the worst writers. I am Leah, and today I'm joined by my co-hostesses with the co-hostesses, Jen, J-Swag, and Jesse. Woohoo! Wow, wow, wow! Um, <laughs> this is the first episode of Write Sweats, so we're going to give you a little bit of information about yourself. Um, I'll kick it off. My name is Leah. I am a amateur, amateur, amateur writer and not as avid a reader as I used to be. And we are getting this started because this month we're all trying to survive NaNoWriMo 2018. Jesse? Uh, thank you, Leah, for inviting me on this wonderful podcast today. Thank you, Jennifer, for uh, for joining us as well. I'm Jesse. I'm doing Nano to this year as well. I tried to do it last year. I got uh, 2,000 words in and I gave up. Uh, so this year I'm trying to make the most of it. And a little bit of that is this, is is us talking and Jen and Leah and I figuring it out. I guess I am less of an amateur, amateur, amateur as Leah is. I went to school for English and not for writing, but for English. And, you know, writing comes in with that as well. I'd like to think of myself as a reader and a writer. Uh, I'm not good at writing. I think uh, technically I'm a professional writer, but I don't have any jobs ever. So it's just me trying to figure out what it is exactly that I'm doing right now. You know, Jennifer, what about you? Well, I have a pretty long history with NaNoWriMo. I, <laughs> I started in 2010, technically, and in 2012, I won the first time. What is that? I, so winning is when you finish all 50,000 words. So I've been doing it since 2010. Uh, and since 2012, I've been extremely active in the community. For the past three years, I've been the ML for the Seattle region. So, what does that mean? So that means I'm the municipal liaison. So I'm the, <laughs> I'm the, I guess, point of contact for everyone who's part of the Seattle region, which is one of the biggest regions in NaNoWriMo. Um, so it's actually super exciting because we have over a thousand people who are contacting me. And um, I have two other co-MLs who help me run it. But you do all this in addition to working full-time, so this isn't just something you get to, you know, wake up, put a little time into, and then go be normal. This is your your hobby. Mm-hmm. That's true, yep. And it, it does take a lot of time. Um, and it, it's interesting because being an ML takes a lot of uh, time out of, like, your actual ability to write for NaNoWriMo, mm-hmm. so I've also struggled with that um, every year. Like, last year I won. But it was extremely, extremely difficult to win. So this year I'm trying to make it easier on myself and at the same time hold myself more accountable by doing this podcast. So, Well, uh, is there only one winner? I just haven't understood the winning thing quite ever. So anyone can be a winner. It's just getting all 50,000 <laughs> words. Or if you're a uh, rebel, right? If you're doing something like comics or poetry, mm. winning is just knowing what your personal goal is and reaching that. So before we get to Rebel, what is it that everyone's trying to write this year, just in the broadest strokes? Because we're only three days into it at this point. I'm personally trying to write something a bit more structured than I usually do. Uh, last year, my issue was I had no idea, and I thought that I could kind of just go into it, uh, and something would materialize. And what materialized was just a number of disparate scenes that didn't quite ever work and while they were nice and fun to write there's not a lot of momentum to it and you can't really go on much further so this this year i'm trying to write something very straightforward a little out of my comfort zone i'm writing a straight up like noir mystery novel uh, is the idea Ooh, uh, nice because there's a little bit of just a forward trajectory to matter what the way that the genre works too there's one guy 
there's one protagonist and he's all you kind of have to keep track of and the way these protagonists are they're so savvy and angry all the time that they're able to explain and pretty easily what's happening you don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting uh, and it's a genre i really like especially since i've gotten out of school i've sort of allowed myself to enjoy what i enjoy a little bit more so that's what i've been working on and so far it's been going okay i've been losing momentum the same way but then you know that's that's not unusual so i actually now that we talk about it i'm kind of treading more into the the nano rebel camp I went into this very, very naively thinking, oh, I can decide two days before November that I'm going to participate and do this and write a full novel. And I sit down at my computer and stare at the open word document. And I'm just like, I don't want to write anything for that long. That sounds absolutely terrifying and awful. So after <laughs> really sweating it for, for three days, I w- we sat at the, the dining table and I was asking Jesse, you know, well, what could I be doing? And my direction is kind of now taking the form of maybe a couple more short stories that'll tie themselves together, be it thematically or loosely narratively. But I think I'm going to go more of that route and just try to get the quantity done rather than keeping them into one cohesive story. That's a good idea. I think that's that's a really fun way to do it. It makes it less terrifying. So most years I kind of just write a super sloppy novel it's called a zero draft by the way if that makes it less scary sounding to you what does that mean just uh, it's not a first it's not a right exactly it's not your first draft it's your zero draft right so you don't have to worry about how good or bad it is so that would maybe make it sound less scary i know i like like your your shitty first draft you ever read that essay yes exactly it's exactly like that only they call it zero draft because that's maybe kid friendly (laughs) i don't know i know (laughs) i I, i've i've gotten that like in like early college classes and i've had to teach it to freshmen and they're like i could see on their faces like oh the teacher gave us an essay that has shitty in the title i'm like i know but there's not a second one like (laughs) (laughs) it is funny though but yeah uh so originally i was going to write some sort of fantasy novel like i usually do maybe like with some romance in there but when i actually sat down to write i had no plot in my head so i couldn't so i just ended up writing a sort of more like nonfiction essay discussing what toxic friendship is like. And um, uh, it was like actually kind of inspiring because I decided to use that essay as like a springboard to write a fantasy novel about toxic friendships. So, and that's this year? That's this year, yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm pantsing it, right? That's a nano term for people who are just making it up as they go. Oh, by the seat of their pantses? Yep. <laughs> I think that is a camp we all sit happily in this t- this year. <laughs> It seems tough. Does it seem tough, Jen, to, you know it a little bit more, to not do a hard genre thing? Because there is that sort of forward momentum no matter what, be it mystery, be it uh, fantasy, sci-fi, or whatever. Do you find that it's a little tougher to go out of that a little bit sometimes? You mean while you're trying to just make the word count? Or just, just for just for the, the, the premise in general, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I look at so many things on message boards and everyone's writing fantasy version of this a sci-fi version of that and there's nothing wrong with that but it seems if you're going to do anything else the the tools aren't quite there to help you so much oh you mean just in the nano realm that there isn't as many resources for people who aren't within a specific genre yeah i see what you're saying yeah i mean fantasy tends to dominate i've Mm -hmm. noticed that as a as an ml um that said though i've known people who've gone through 10 nanorimos and all they've ever written were mystery novels yeah. or whatnot. So um, there's, I think there's resources for any type, but 
if you want to like break the rules and kind of like genre swap as you write, um, uh-huh. I'd encourage that. I've done that one year. One year I wrote mostly fan fiction. Yeah. And also partly like fantasy and then a lot of essays about feminism. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that year was real sloppy. <laughs> I want to see the year where Jesse tries to write some like real hard fan fiction and not in the way that he's done jokingly before where he writes like a really gross Frasier fan fiction, but like really <laughs> yeah. like genuinely committing to you know the romance that you're building or the, the, the romance know. in Frasier. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah the reason we all watch this show <laughs> yeah i mean um, that's it's in a sense that is what i'm doing now i'm not i'm not quite used to writing in the sort of noir genre and so i am kind of writing my version of a chandler novel uh and my protagonist is a version of philip marlowe just because Firstly, those, that was the guy that created everything we know about it now. And so what we take for granted as the hard-boiled detective all came from that one spot. So it's hard not to do that. Well, so that a little segues bit... really nicely because you're going you're gonna to cut me off. But So what is that like a major influence for how you've written before? Or is that something... You said that you've kind of let yourself come into it recently. But what have been your big influences then? Well, I think, I think prosically... Marla, uh, Chandler has always been an influence on me because he has sort of fallen in line with a lot of writers I like, such as uh, Steinbeck, P.G. Wodehouse, John Hodgman to a point, uh, where they write about these things, and you may care or not care, but the prose they're using is so tight and interesting and really grows on itself with every line that it's hard to avoid. You know, very famously, Steinbeck made a thousand pages out of a dust storm and a turtle crossing the street. And there is points where that becomes just impossible to deal with, but that's still something to say. And I think those sorts of people have always appealed to me. But then now that I've been out of school and been able to sort of deal with the on the, the surface parts of these novels and go, oh, I like that because it's fun mystery or I don't want to read about a bunch of hillbillies right now, you know, like people have still stuck around and it, but it's all on that that foundation of prose. And so letting Chandler then go from being a stylistic influence and a stylistic thing I enjoy to being a just kind of like story thing I enjoy is is new to me. And I think that's a little bit where I'm going in this direction now or before I would have gone, oh, I want to write a story in the prosic style of of Chandler or Steinbeck. But now I'm like, oh no, I want to write a story like Chandler. If that makes sense at all. No, that makes perfect sense. Jen, what have you been majorly influenced by in your writing? Because you write a lot of fantasy. Do you read a lot of fantasy? I do read a lot of fantasy. Um, but ma- my main influence- influences have been pretty much the the core recognizable ones, like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, things like that. But the ones that I turn to and try to get inspiration from the most are ones like Outlander. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Outlander. What I loved about Outlander actually was that it wasn't a clear-cut single genre type of novel. It's actually famous for mixing historical writing with fantasy, with romance. With I've adventure. always known it as romance, yeah. Yeah, it's got it's it's literally famous for um, mixing it up, and uh, I, I try to do that with everything that I write is not just stick to one recognizable genre, um, which is kind of something you were talking about earlier. So I use that as my core influence personally, and um, 
Tamora Pierce is another really popular one that I get a lot of inspiration from. What did she do again? Because I've heard you talk about her before. A lot of her stuff is uh, centered on dynamic female leads in fantasy. Mm. Um, so some of her like really famous ones are like Circle of Magic or um, okay, yeah. I think there's one called Paige, but I might be misremembering the title. And Leah's, uh, I don't want to speak for her, but her major influence is the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Absolutely is that true? Not. <laughs> oh, okay. It is the, absolutely not. However, Talmud. wouldn't it have I, been the Torah, Jesse? Come on. I said Talmud. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am one of those people that if you sit and talk with me long enough, I will talk your ear off about how the Bible is probably one of the most like weirdly fascinating pieces of literature oh, yeah. there is. It there is yeah. so 100%. much weird shit in the Bible that you don't get in anything else because you can't even come close to it. Mm. Even the best fantasy doesn't have a woman turning around and then turning to salt. Wait, that happens in the Bible? Yes! Man, I need to, like, go back to Sunday school. Yes! (laughs) Why didn't they tell me about that one? It Well, and the whole story is, TLDR is, a man basically says, it's okay if you come in and rape my daughters, and then as they're fleeing the city... The only rule was not to turn around and look. His wife turns around and looks, and she turns to salt. I don't want to interrupt here, but I'm going to. I want to make a point that we just saw the first time Jen is going to do this, and she's going to do it all the time, where you say something that is just accepted into culture as something normal that nobody questions anymore. (laughs) She goes, I've never heard of that. So take note of it. That's the first time, and it's not going to be the last time. (laughs) You mean I'm going to be like... I've never heard of that, but it's a really, really common, well-known thing. And I'm just, like, grew up under a rock because that 100%. is true. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. You're a Steve Rogers. It's fine. Yes. Um, yeah, I really am Steve Rogers. There's a notepad next to her right now where she wrote down, pillar of salt <laughs> and circled it five times with yes. a question mark next to it. It's going to get real bad when we start getting into, like, current modern day, like, media references. I'm just going to be like, huh? Like, <laughs> I was born in 1920. What do you mean? <laughs> See, back in my day with the Victrola. I'll be like, we went to school together, Jen. We were in the same classes. So my biggest influences are not the Bible, although there is a bridge in which one of my favorite authors is heavily influenced by the Bible. Mm-hmm. I came from the dark and angsty subculture of kids that read Anne Rice too young. So I probably started reading the Vampire Chronicles when I was in the eighth grade. Um, and have consumed everything Anne Rice put out there up until the, the last quote-unquote Lestat book, which was Blood Canticle, and then kind of fell off as I became an adult and was torn away by computer and video games and all of that stuff. But I did grow up reading a lot of fantasy. The Lord of the Rings was such a big piece of my life. I carried it with me to school like it was the Bible. I brought my action figures to school like they were my friends. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up really rich in that to a point. And then I got kind of, I went even weirder and became really obsessed with reading nonfiction. I developed this really obsessive love of the court of Henry VIII and his six wives and his three legitimate children. And I could not read enough about that and the history of that time. And so eventually I learned that there's this genre where people write about things that really happened, but then you get to read what the characters are thinking at the same time. And I realized that I've always loved historical fiction, even though I didn't quite understand that, what that was. And I was basically writing when I was in my teenage years, historical fan fiction, because I wanted to do this stuff. I didn't realize that there was an actual genre for it for a long time. However, I really don't like uh, Pippa Gregory. 
and the whole like other Bolin girl, I think those are garbage. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> you really got to make that known. <laughs> I have to make that note because everyone always asks like, oh my gosh, have you read the other Bolin girl? I'm like, yeah. And? Unfortunately, I've read it. Yes. Yeah. And I saw the movie and the movie is even more of a disappointment. Actually, the movie was, the movie was a pretty dramatic disappointment. Who is that? Is that Eric Bana? Yes. Eric Bana plays Henry VIII, not oh a boy. ginger. Eric Bana. And if you're going to make a period drama, the only thing you have to do is make it look pretty. And they literally reused costume designs between Anne and her sister in a way that was unoriginal. You couldn't even make it look pretty. I always kind of understood that movie as like Girl in the Pearl airing 2. No. That's only because like had Scarlett it, Johansson. It felt like a cash-in, though, off of that thing. Because that kind of popped more than I think anyone thought it might. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Got Jim Sturgis, Mark Rylance. Yeah. Did you pull so, up the IMDb page? I did. And you just <laughs> it's got Jen, yeah. Jen's, Jen's boy in there. It's got Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that joke never died. Just saying his name wrong. I don't like to say it like hard wrong. Like I'm like I'm not gonna be like cucumber lemon face, but like just to be like <laughs> lemon face is pretty accurate though. Cumber patch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Jen, are you gonna go see The Grinch next week? Wait. Oh, wait, no, you know what? You know what? I did hear about this. I was going to be like, what are you talking about? You know what? I do know this one. Uh, There is a Grinch coming out with Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) It's confusing because he's not doing a British accent. He's doing like a nerdy American accent. So it could have been anybody. Oh, well, that's going to be awkward and strange. Um, It's going to be Doctor Strange? Yeah. His American accent is in this movie. (laughs) Gosh. Okay. You yeah. See me finger guns on a podcast. Oh, I mean the the noise you made actually, you know, it like printed the image in my mind. So excellent. Insert gif. Insert gif. <laughs> the way I learned about that was through that like Tumblr post where someone was talking about how they will fight to the death over someone insulting how hot the Grinch is or something. Like <laughs> it was something like I thought the Grinch was hot before or whatever. I don't know. I forget, but, like, <laughs> Or it was cool. <laughs> I kind of get the like this one, like like this Grinch might like hate fuck you, but they're like, oh, the old one I thought might have too. <laughs> Does that yeah. mean though the cartoon or the Jim Carrey one? Uh, it's got to be Jim Carrey, right? <laughs> was that the Does it? To you? I mean, did that not do things to you too? <laughs> I mean, it is like so off-putting and scary in a way. I can see how you could like mistranslate that internally as like yeah, just like fear, excitement. This, Which one is it? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like after I saw Baby Grinch and like Teen Grinch in that movie, you don't ever want to fuck the Grinch. You can almost justify the cartoon more than you can the Jim Carrey Grinch because you don't ever see the gross proto Grinch stages of that one. <laughs> I kind of, I think I think Baby Grinch is a mess. Baby Grinch is crazy, but that like elementary school one is kind of cute. No, it's pretty cute and story wise, I think they did a good job of like. Oh, it's that's the best part. How, yeah, yeah, and showing how like hurt he was, his you know his journey through yes. childhood. In a movie that doesn't work, it's it's weird that those parts that are entirely fabricated by Ron Howard or whoever are the parts that work. Yeah. So wait, you could pull up the IMDb page for the other Bolin girl so you could do those facts, but you cannot be bothered to look up the Grinch? I assume, I mean, we should move on, but I am going to look up who wrote it, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, why don't we go ahead and move on and let's do our um, Help a Brother Out segment where we um, 
I just try and figure out some tips for each other. So Jesse, you had the big question this week. I did, yes. So I was just sort of thinking how you just start a book or a novel or your writing or whatever. I couldn't figure out quite what to do. I know you learn in English class a hundred million times. Here's this the six ways to get people's attention instantly to hook them in. But those are all sort of whatever, you know. There's not really, a, I think, a hard and fast rule. And so what I did, and uh, literally, is I just went through books I liked and just saw how they started and just sort of did a version of what I liked. That's a good that, method. Well, that being said, I, I I started that way and then I wrote for a few pages, and then I went back and I deleted the first four sentences because they just didn't work anymore. Cause okay, it, well, rule number one, don't delete during NaNoWriMo. Oh, is that true? <laughs> it's not actually a real rule, but I would discourage it because we are going for word count. But I mean, it was, it was two do sentences. Do what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about Leah, but myself, during NaNoWriMo anyway, I focus on just starting to write rather than starting my novel exactly at the beginning. Uh, okay. So what I mean is I'll maybe just jump forward and I'm writing the middle of the novel suddenly or just any kind of character moment and, and exploration of the characters. So it could just be any scene randomly. So I don't stress on the structure of the novel yet because it's just way too overwhelming. But this year I'm actually having a hard time even with that. So just the how to start writing part is hard for me. So what I've been doing is just writing, I think I said earlier, just writing stuff like essays basically about a internal conflict, the toxic friendship conflict. And trying now, is that to get with inspo. you or is that with a fictional you? I'm just exploring the abstract idea, right? Oh, so okay. so there's no like characters. It's it's gotcha. literally essay format, yeah. No, she's writing it about you, Jesse. Yep. Typically. Listen, we've gone through this so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, how many times have we re at each other on Facebook? Actually, I don't, I don't think we've ever deleted each other from Facebook. You we? are forgetting at oh. all. Yes. Maybe maybe like six or seven years ago, we went through some things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. My my issue was with doing starting like that was I am so tired of in media res beginnings of anything, uh, right. movies, books, right, whatever. Right, where they skipped the first act. Yeah. yeah, I'm so tired of it right now. And I get that sometimes it's just what you have to do. It's just I've seen it not work so many times. You know, mm -hmm. I have a movie pass this year, and so I took full advantage of that at the beginning of the year where I could see a different movie every day of the week, and I saw a different movie every day of the week, and just I got so burnt out on that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is actually kind of a, a problem a lot with movies, and even books now, uh, people will yeah. skip the first act. They're just right in the middle of the action, which can be exciting, but you're missing a lot of um, setup for characters that I, I think are really needed. So, um, I mean, for me, even though I'm jumping into the middle of the novel when I start writing for NaNoWriMo, I fully intend to go back and write the beginning later. So, well, and I, I think there's a little bit that we've been taught the wrong thing all along. There's this the really dumb adage of you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. We were also taught to judge a book by the first few pages that you read. Yes. You've, in theory, have already paid money for whatever this is that you're consuming, be it a movie, be it a book, even with committing with your time to a webcomic, to a piece of fan fiction, you are going to commit further past that. So it's okay to not immediately start with the most gut-wrenching, crazy, wild thing that there is. You know, I tried to start with something like that. I tried to start with, and, it, and that's the piece I'm going to read a little bit later, with just this big dramatic image. And by the time I got to the end, it was only 300 words. And I felt like, okay, that's done. 
I've seen the exciting thing. Why am I here? You know, sometimes if you start with something a little slower, a little more developing, you actually can establish more of a connection for when you get to those big moments. Yeah, I think that's really, really important what you just said. Just establishing, I think, establish your characters so that we care about the characters while they're in the middle of whatever drama they're about to go through. Like, if you start your novel with an explosion and someone loses their mom, like, that is sad, but if you show us just a few pages that that mom is like sacrificing a lot for their daughter and the daughter is maybe ungrateful when they lose their mother suddenly we're like oh oh no they were so ungrateful they shouldn't have been that way because now she's gone pro tip uh if you're gonna do that make sure you kill the father figure not the mother figure and we don't fridge any more women this year yeah yes no fridging please (laughs) yeah other than in media res starts that's the other thing i'm tired of right now it's just lazy there's other ways to do things you yeah know. can you explain that a little more for Leo, you want to explain that just in I general was just, yeah fridging is a really it's i always enjoy talking about fridging because i get to go talk about comic books for a second yes. it actually comes from a green lantern comic in which the green lantern's girlfriend is cut up and stuffed in a refrigerator in order to incentivize the character to become to take on the mantle of the green lantern for earth Mm-hmm. Um, this girlfriend is truly just introduced so that she can be killed for effect. And when that happens, it is now referred to as fridging. Yep. Yes. And it happened this year in lots of things. I think most grievously to me was it happened in Deadpool, which I know Deadpool is not good, but the whole point of Deadpool in his best version is he undoes those sort of conventions of comic books and goes here's how this works and why this doesn't work sometimes or here this is weird why do we do this Mm -hmm. and they just fridged his girlfriend and didn't talk about it in a movie where the character won't stop talking about everything (laughs) they let that happen and i'm like see and i think if he had been self-aware and addressed it that would have been very in character for deadpool and appropriate for the context it would have been better i didn't think about that yeah, and yeah, I mean, that's just one of those things that's just, I'm tired of seeing. It doesn't help. It, I, it's effective, but there's other ways around it. At the same time, there's effective ways to do it. Leah and I just watched Mandy uh, with Nicolas Cage, and I think that worked really well inside of it. Yeah, but I think losing been... someone and being motivated by that yeah. is a valid sort of yeah. story thing. We just don't want to be introducing characters for that sole purpose and then just kind of moving on. Yes, and in and, and that movie, in Mandy, the first 40 minutes follows Mandy, and then she dies, and then it becomes Nick Cage's movie. Mm-hmm. All the characters are a little underwritten, but everybody in that movie is a little underwritten just because of what the movie is. And if you haven't seen it, that doesn't make sense. But when you see it, it makes sense. That's not the point. Well, developing a character, generally, it's only called fridging when you fail to develop the character at all. Yeah. If yeah. that, you know, in, in similar to like people trying to use the Bechdel test as this catch all for, you know, how we rate the feminism of a novel, you know, just because a character gets fridged doesn't mean that it, the story is worthless and needs to be thrown out. But there are more subtle, more delicate ways of handling it. And then there are five pages in your mom is dead and you're devastated. Yeah, that would probably be a pretty bad start to a novel. I'll be honest. Well, that's what I was thinking, too, when we were talking about in media res is my, my favorite usage of it is the beginning of Jurassic Park. If you remember the beginning of Jurassic Park, it doesn't explain that we're on Jurassic Park yet. It doesn't explain that there's dinosaurs anywhere. But there is a group of guys around a cage that's shaking, and then there's like a shadow on a wall that looks like 
a dinosaur, which we only know as viewers because we bought a ticket to Jurassic Park, not because the movie has said, oh, there's dinosaurs in here. So if I had gone in blind, I wouldn't know what was happening. And then it zooms away and you see that the shadow is like a, a palm tree or something like that. But then a dinosaur jumps out. But I thought that worked really, really well. It's because the text knows that you know what you're what you're here for. Uh, is that in media res or is that more of the movie version of a prologue? Yeah, I mean, that when it becomes the movies, I think it's tough to talk about sometimes. The beginning of the ice storm where it's a scene from the end of the movie, I think that's like in media res, I would probably say. But that's kind of up to debate. Because I think yeah. there is something to be said for starting your novel from the beginning or starting your story, or not starting your novel, from the starting your novel from the end and starting your story from, from where it's going to end up if you are trying to make a point about some sort of cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be a really useful tool if you're trying to really emphasize the unbroken cycle. But there is so much these days where it's just and cut. We're in the action, and everyone's throwing punches and running and explosions. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really tears. it really is just the actual literal explosions and disasters that it's so common with. Yes, it's I mean that being said, down. though, it worked so well in Mission Impossible Fallout. But the Mission Impossible series is a example of how something that shouldn't work works well. So it's that that doesn't help anybody with anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's valid. To, it's a valid um, an avenue you can go down with your storytelling. Is just how frequent it is and how sometimes lazy it is can kind of make an issue out of it. Well, now that you're not starting at the start, so to speak, Jen, do you think you'll go in and re-sequence these things and how do you yeah think oh yeah so when i start writing i will literally write scene like see, different scenes chunks of scenes yeah. and i worry about structuring them later after nanowrimo's over uh-huh. i just try to focus on writing what i'm motivated to write honestly like if i'm feeling bored by what i'm writing i think wow someone else would probably be pretty bored reading this so i'm going to come back to this later and i'm going to go write something i'm interested in oh, okay that makes sense yeah I, I i always wanted to do that and i always think that would work for me as well but i think just right now when what I need to be doing is figuring out how to just do it. I think just starting from the beginning and just kind of pushing through spots where I'm spinning my wheels a little bit is what I need to do. Because last year I tried to just write scenes and then I didn't care and I stopped doing it. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that too. I think there's there's definitely people I've met who are just like that where they really need to they need to start at page one and stay on track. Now, are those people that have spent a lot of time like plotting and outlining, or are those people that really do just on the fly start from the beginning and go start to finish? I've met both, honestly. Tends to be the people who have really strong um, outlines that can start from page one and feel like they're on track. But I know people who start on page one, and even if they don't feel like they're on track, they keep writing and they will edit later. That's what I feel. I feel like if I feel like I'm not sequencing now, and I'm writing in what feels like an order now, but I know in the back of my head I'm still going to go change things up later. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. resequence these things. No, Jesse, are you writing chronologically, or are you writing as the idea comes to you? What do you mean? As your narrative is unfolding, are you finding that it's unfolding in a chronological pattern, or is it already a little bit? mismatched in that order uh i think it's only day three so i think day one and two i was really chronological this is what happens this is what happens i'm also forcing myself to actually deal with a physical geological area that i understand and that has really helped a little bit too and that really helps just sort of this happens then this happens because i go oh i went to here and then i went to here and then i went to here and i know how that 
that physically looks in my head. But starting today, now that things are getting a little bit more interesting, I'm a bit more comfortable. I know the characters a little bit more. I know the world a little bit more. I've started having flashbacks inserted. And those have been coming up naturally, but I've been exploring those a lot. Is that not chronological? Is that chronological? I'm not sure. But that's kind of where things are going now, if that makes any sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really, really interesting. I think, so the the two things that I've tried to tackle so far and kind of what's leading me more in the short story direction is I dealt with something that started right in the middle of the action and I finished and thought it was boring. And this other thing I'm looking and it's a little more slow burny and, and plotting and looking at those things, I don't necessarily think I'm going to be able to tell it all in one chunk of time. And so I'm thinking about flashbacks, flash forwards, and what time means. So that's why I ask. So with that, one of the things we're going to talk about a lot is your survival kit when you're writing, be it for NaNoWriMo or just writing on your own. And the survival kits can go from anything to what you physically have with you to what you mentally need to have with you. So Jen's going to start us off by jumping us into the most necessary part of your survival kit. (laughs) Which is obviously what you're going to eat. (laughs) My top three snacks, right? Whenever I do this, actually, you know, there were a couple years where I I tried to motivate myself to write by like being like, when I finish this, I'm going to get some Reese's Cups. You know, like I'm getting candy (laughs) out of this. That was a mistake because I started feeling really sick because I would be eating candy every day. So I actually discourage candy as a snack choice. (laughs) Take care of yourself better. Even Um, though uh, it's right after October, the candy is super on sale. That's the thing. (laughs) I always have on sale candy. And because I host these like kickoff parties for Nano, I always have like a ton of leftover candy. Anyway, so I destroyed my health with candy for the first week. But then after that, I really, really like hearty foods. And I really like... Hardies? Hearty, like full foods. Like a Western bacon cheese? (laughs) Oh, God. Chicken stars? (laughs) It's a quarter pounder. No, um, I mean, I mean, like, I like pasta or potato soup, like heavy foods while I'm writing because I feel so comforted that I just feel like relaxed and it's easy for me to write. But that's not really a snack, I guess. So more on the snack realm side of things. Um, I prefer like hot tea, honestly, or not coffee because it's sometimes too much. So like hot tea. That's what I was going to ask. You're a real tea nerd or tea drinker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got really into it and yeah. honestly, just give it a chance. Honestly, just throw some sugar and milk <laughs> in it if you're like unsure. Um, <laughs> if you don't have an advanced palate like I do. Just kidding. <laughs> Now, to be fair, you do have the luxury of being in a colder climate. So as you were saying, party soup, hot tea, I'm looking at the forecast and it's going to be 84 tomorrow, which means our apartment is going to feel like 90. Okay. Southern California sounds like too much. That's too much. <laughs> I've been here. I've been here for five years. It's too much for me. So for you guys, I guess you could do some nice gelato. <laughs> some. <laughs> I, I, I think there's something to that though. We 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 had like a a heavy like rice dish, nachos, which are not the way we make them. Aren't light. So there's a little. There's something to that. Or or a lot of like bagels, a lot of bready stuff, which is it's kind of the same. Yeah. So Jesse, you're you're a snack connoisseur. We would say. say. What are you, what are your top three? Uh, for writing. 
Yeah. Well, I have a couple. I have, I have, I come to writing a couple ways. So I spent so much time at school. Jen knows this. I was at school with her. We we wrote through school, and a lot of my writing snacks or nutrition or whatever comes from that sort of college time panic. Um, oh yeah, I'm picturing Snyder's of Hanover mustard. Pretzels. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Those a aren't good. Of, cinders of, with Hanover. Cinders. A lot of five. Is that how you say it? Really? No, it's no, later. I said it one time. A lot, a lot of just coffee, a lot of just black coffee all the time. For a little bit, we were able to, or I was able to drink in moderation, some uh, energized four locos in the middle of the night, kind of mix things up. But that's like it's like Blech. the candy thing. That's not sustainable. You know? Yeah. But then when I moved into grad school and I lived alone, things weren't much better. I actually truly said tonight to Leah, without thinking of it strangely, she said, I don't have any ideas what to write. I said, do you want any inspiration juice? And she said, what do you mean? And I say, of beer, of course. What do you think I mean? So <laughs> so my, my snacks still are just kind of just liquids. It's kind of just black coffee, uh, beer if it gets late enough in the night. You can't do too much, you know? But there right. is a little bit of that idea. And I think it's it's bullshit to say, you know, write drunk, edit sober. There, I get so into my head sometimes that I need right. I something can see that. to take just a little bit of it off. And that if that's coffee, then that's coffee. If that's something else, that's something else. Um, well, and that's kind of what tea is for me because it, it does relax me. And I think that's part of it is just trying to find things that relax you. Foods that for you are comforting. Yeah. Or sometimes with coffee or, or caffeine in general, I'll get so hyper I just can't think. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'll work. But then that, that, that of course, creates a whole distraction issue. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, nothing quite like feeling absolutely stuck in what you're writing and having a very energized significant other bouncing behind you because he's, you know, only 500 words away and has the time to be silly and do all those things. And you're trying to close your tabs of distraction so you feel like you're being productive. And then on, <laughs> on top of those those kind of strange school things, I graduated and then I went into professional writing inside of an office. So that was eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week, sometimes on the weekends, and then also trying to work on your own things. And so that, that'll be sort of a testament of this month to figure out is I don't have sustainable snacking situations. They're typically like chips, <laughs> chips, black coffee, and then beer when I get too, uh, too hyped up, which is not healthy. And I know that, but it, it usually isn't every single day. Because eventually when I was working, I figured out some tricks where I had put a bag of chamomile inside of a pot of coffee. <laughs> oh, so I, I remember was, that. It was just the most ridiculous, iconic image. Just it chamomile tastes bad, but it did what I wanted it to do. I took the edge off a little bit, but I was also energized. It was terrible. It tasted like dirt. You somehow <laughs> made the vodka Red Bull and breakfast drinks. <laughs> yes, I mean that's not that was undergrad stuff, but yeah. Uh, Although, I mean, I'm gonna try this chamomile and coffee thing and see if <laughs> see if it works. It tastes like dirt. Watch out! You know, you know, hey though, like earthy flavors sometimes they're good. I always say that people don't like earthy flavors down here. Apparently, <laughs> it it's very much an acquired taste. Nothing like a moxie cola for me. You know. What about <laughs> you, Leah? What are your go-to writing snacks? I am I am a nervous eater. Like. Mm. When I get emotional and stressed, I just want to eat. And so the idea of sitting and writing really does stress me out. So I have to, even further than candy, to avoid having something that is right in front of me in large quantities. If you put a large bag of chips in front of me, it'll all be gone. If you put a large bag of carrots in front of me, it'll all be gone. Just something, that repetitive motion is something that I try to comfort myself with. Actually, um... 
I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say as a tip for people to have food near you so that you don't feel like you have to get up from your writing and use it as an excuse. Yeah. Right. But if you're a nervous eater and you're just going to like down an entire bag of ruffles, maybe. Well, that's <laughs> maybe the look question. That's the thing I've always not known if it's right or wrong. If I do that in lieu of a meal, is that. Does that equal things out, or am I still not allowed to eat a whole bag of chips for I dinner? I mean, if you want to eat a bag of chips for dinner, you're an adult. You're an adult. Do what you want. But I know, but now I I'm like 30, and I feel it. I feel it for the That's next it. day. That's it. Exactly. I feel it. It doesn't feel good. I can't get away <laughs> with it anymore. So I get worse hangovers from chips than I do booze at this point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the salt hangovers are crazy. Like That's the candy problem for me, too. It genuinely, yeah. I, I can't do it. Did you find that that happened this year or has that been happening for a while? Because this year I had four pieces of sweet candy and I'm like, I'm, I think I'm done for the season. Like, <laughs> and last year I was sitting there eating a, three bags a day or something. You know? Yeah, well, I had, had, This year our Halloween candy were take five bars, which is like a chocolate caramel pretzel. We had like the most, the closest to a protein bar candy <laughs> you could get. I was I was dipping into my coffee. It was a nice little breakfast snack. I mean, Five those are candy bars. <laughs> I actually was gonna say that I had candy for breakfast the other day. And I was <laughs> at work, and I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I don't have any time. I'm just gonna eat these like candies, and I'll be okay till lunch. I was not okay. I felt terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that the other work the other day at work with uh, the Halloween Kit Kats. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit about us all being at the same sort of age too. Is yeah especially late 20s it's like you learned all this stuff through your 20s that was fun because now you're kind of an adult and you're allowed to do stuff you weren't before and now it's just like oh that was wrong we should not have done that yeah. <laughs> yes i find though that like as much as i can the not i'm not so much like a healthy snacker but like i want to do like a little bit of bad and a little bit of good and this is me getting real wild here if i'm by myself and i can just keep it with me those pints of Halo Top are awesome for writing. Oh, I love those. Because they take a while to melt. You can just kind of go through it. And you really don't feel guilty at the end of it. Today, my writing snack was a green apple cut up with slices of brie on it. So, mm. you know, a little bit of bad with the brie. A little bit of good with the apple. But something that That's gives up a like, really satisfying crunch. <laughs> that I can, you know, put it in front of me, but then not feel like. I've been to sit here and be eating it for 30 minutes, just shoveling it into my mouth. <laughs> I'm you know? so exceptionally afraid of artificial sugars, though, that I can't, I can't feel good about it. Like, I would rather just eat, like, a dryer's pint. That has something. artificial sugar, too. I know, but it's, it, it, it ha also has other sugars. I don't know. I don't know. I can't drink, I can't drink like, diet sodas, because that stuff... It scares me. I don't know what's the deal with it. It sits I mean, weird it is, in my belly. It is genuine. It is like a real carcinogen, isn't it? So yeah, it's gonna. I mean, do so is brain sugar. <laughs> I'm not saying this fear makes sense. It's just your your quirk. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd rather have just like a full blooded sun kiss, which is the worst of the worst, than have like a <laughs> diet sprite. You know. <laughs> That's... Yeah, you're really like avoiding death with that one. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, I get the lecture every time we go to the grocery store about why we need to get LaCroix instead of soda. I don't like LaCroix. I like I like seltzer. Wait, I like, really? No, it's just the seltzer where it's just carbonated water, nothing added to it, but a little bit of flavoring. It. I like it as much as I like soda, if not more. 
There's nothing mm-hmm. in it. Zero calories, no sugar, no nothing. It costs $2 for 25 flat. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it before, but I taught myself to like it. Like black coffee, like booze, like anything else in our adult <laughs> life. Yeah, just teach yourself to like these terrible things. Yeah, what's the other choice we have? Drinking soda. But... <laughs> But I really like LaCroix. I like LaCroix, too. I don't get... People always have that. There's that joke on the internet where they're like, oh, the flavors of LaCroix. The orange one is the taste of somebody yelling orange in the next room. And I'm like, yes, that's why I like it. (laughs) I mean, it is a flavor. I've never seen that that description. And it is accurate. And it is why it tastes so good. (laughs) That's why I enjoy it. Yeah. What does Coke taste like? (laughs) It tastes like Coke. What does Dr. Pepper? Dr. Pepper tastes like... Spicy Gross. coke. It's too spicy for a gin. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's at so some point good. we'll get the other one of the other Jennifers in our life on, and she will spend a good hour telling you the bad things about sparkling. Oh water. yeah, I've been having this argument for weeks. I'm so steamed on it. <laughs> Wait, your friend, your other friend Jennifer is anti. If she cares about something, she very much cares about something, and she's also a writer. So at some point, I will. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. We should yes, have guests. Yeah. Yes, we'll be a real podcast then. Whoa, a real podcast. <laughs> like about fishing. We can get um, Chris Beatty onto our podcast, the creator of Nanorama. Oh, oh yeah. I say, who is that? Should I know him? <laughs> yes. Was it Chris Beatty? Chris Beatty. I hope Thanks. I'm saying his name. Maybe it's Chris Batty. I mean, I have received an email from the current CEO uh, thanking me for my public television appearance. Cool. Okay, so then one of the last things I think we want to do, and not to salt everyone's wounds every week, is at least share have someone share a little bit of something of what they're writing or have written. Partially in order, I think, to keep ourselves accountable, but also to get a little bit of that in-the-moment feedback. And so what I'm going to bring to the table this week is a couple paragraphs on a burning tree that was kind of the failed start of this from two days ago. It's gone in such a different direction, but... I didn't delete any of this. So there's a good chance that it may come back in some fashion or may get worked into something completely different. But I wrote it and while I don't love it, I spent time on it. And like Jen said, you're going for word count, so don't delete it. <laughs> you're also allowed to tell me that it's garbage because yeah. as we yeah. said, zero draft. So <laughs> that's okay. <sighs> and I always get nervous reading my stuff, guys. So <laughs> Oh, that and that let me tell you right now, that never goes away. Oh. <laughs> You will always feel absolutely terrified. It's, this is Let's always <laughs> the worst thing in the world. Yes. <laughs> I feel It's better. like going to like, court. Like, there's never a good time to do it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Jed like that. <laughs> Keep laughing, because at least that way, if it sounds stupid, I can tell myself that you're laughing at Jesse's joke. <laughs> I'm not going to laugh at you. All right. The deafening crack that ran through the side summoned the entire village from their houses. Being out in the storm made little sense, but that last crack rumbled with deeper tones that signaled impact with the ground. The silvery clouds darkened, becoming more like floating charcoal in the sky. The prickly static of the air in everyone's noses took on a sooty coating, and the wind that whipped through the streets felt like it carried small knives along with it. A wild orange glow above the roof line drew the villagers toward the edge of town. There, like a torch guiding the travelers, the old oak tree burned alone in the field not 25 yards from the last town building. The lightning had struck directly through the center of the trunk, and flames now crawled through the fissures in the bark in order to reach the sky. Some leaves persisted through the erratic lashing of flames as others shrank and wilted in the intense heat. The supporting branches, however, suffered disintegration burns and snapped off from the only body they would ever know. 
embers danced up into the air like violent fireflies before disappearing into the clouds. The entire village watched in silence for many moments as their totem burned, the life it had lived passing before their eyes, if villager, as if the villagers themselves were the ones aflame. Their children had climbed its branches. Their families had picnicked beneath its leaves. Their lovers had entwined themselves in their roots. Their elders had contemplated the mysteries of its trunk. No one remembered a time before that tree stood, and the whole village gathered now to grieve its passing as if it were their communal parent. And the silence continued, almost as heavy as the air as the air was with ash and soot. A few voices finally raised to call for water and to stop the fire before it spread to their homes. The collected people broke into sprints in every direction, charging home for their buckets into the river for the, or the well for anything to douse the blaze. Bean! <laughs> <laughs> that actually was very vivid. That was like, great. Yeah. That was really strong. Yeah. yeah. So don't feel shy. That was great. But that um, goes back to the piece we were talking about earlier where you want to start with this big visual and have something like crazy and exciting happens. And I'm like, and then they're going to put out the fire. Cool. That's fine. If you're starting with that visual, then it's fine. Yeah, if you want to start at that action, you totally can. And if you're feeling like you want to do more setup, something you could do is just really kind of showcase how important that tree was to the community. Like have someone lovingly take care of it or, um, you know, go to it and pray and like seek advice from it, something like that. And then have the loss of it so that we're like, oh, shit, that tree, you know? Mm hmm. Well, it it does what in media res, I think, in its its best sense should do, where there was things that were just descriptions that all of a sudden filled out with the universe without you having to say anything about yes, it. Yes, and that's absolutely true. Exactly what Jesse said is that it actually functioned as set up for your world, which works great as well. Yeah. Like even just how you casually talked about the elders and how there was no memory of a time before. Yeah. Just so just so simply and quickly, you set up a really clear foundation. It was that. yeah, a secret information dump without us mm -hmm. realizing that's what we were reading. Exactly, yeah. yes. Like yeah. an info dump that's just like lists of information sucks, but that was like a an uh, engaging moment that told us a lot. Yeah, not to go back to Jurassic Park, but it wasn't that scene with the DNA in the cartoon <laughs> where it goes, this is just how this is, you know, it <laughs> which that worked in that movie, but that doesn't work again. Right. Well, the issue I kind of ran into it with is you start with this big piece and mm. anything that follows feels like it does have to pull back significantly to really establish yes. the characters. And totally, that's a hard shift to make. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's a hard drop. Yeah. And I mean, for a reader that's, if that's what you're writing for, for a reader I think that's raised on movies, I think they can understand that drop. But it, it is tough. Because you've set the expectation that things are exciting and maybe not exciting in the like happy way, but like tense and things are happening. And especially if you're telling the story of, of a town or of people, it does have to take a very like quiet and subdued tone after that to really establish the people, oh, wow. not mm -hmm. just the collective. Uh -huh. So one option that you have is to just uh, set that that scene that you have as its own, like, uh, basically prologue-type uh. introduction. So, like, they read that, and they're getting a little bit of information, and they're kind of worried about it. And then when they flip the page to chapter one, it's maybe after the fact and everyone dealing, or, like, maybe all the information leading up to it, right? Like, you can do a time jump backward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, though, is I think, I think you're right. It's so macro that 
you have to have you have to go equally micro the next step and if that's something that you're uncomfortable with or that doesn't work then you have to sort of meet in the middle that's my issues i i have i can't do macro i can't go full scale because like i was thinking when you were reading that there was you said oh the townspeople did this and i'm like if i had written that i would have gone for four thousand words about every single Townsperson we just met, their internal thoughts, their past motivations, what they look like. What well, there they... is a difference when you're writing about groups of people, writing about the group of people, and writing about the people in the group. Like, well, you I, don't, yeah. When you're talking about a group of singers, the sound they make together is always different than the sound they, the sounds they make individually. Well, you wouldn't refer I... to Destiny's Child by the members of Destiny's Child every time they go to sing. It's Beyonce and the other two. <laughs> Yeah, well, wrong analogy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is that, that I think that's what's impressive about what you did that I can't do. Well, um, and maybe my direction is to do something like what Jen was explaining that she's doing earlier, which is just jump to something somewhere in the middle. Oh, yeah. If I can't totally make that jump naturally, maybe I have to go to the next point of high tension and action and then work my my own personal mood down from there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I want to know who these like who your story is going to revolve around, like which mm-hmm. characters. And that scene for me set up the conflict and it set up like the world. Right. And so now I want to know we have the world and the setting. Right. And we have the tone and the conflict. I want to know who the character is next. Yes. Right. So show me that. Right. Well, I, I think away from just sort of those sort of plotal issues, I think the describers and I think the analogies you use and the similes or whatever, the the ways to describe what is actually happening, I think, was really, uh, really good. I think I understood exactly what you were talking about. There was a lot of color in the, the words you were using that mm-hmm. did double duty of you know what something about something looked like ashes or the ashes looked like something right i immediately understood what i was looking at without you having to go oh the sky was now darkened because there was a lot of burnt tree in the air and burnt tree (laughs) in the air makes the sky dark you know like (laughs) right you were you were really um i guess what's the word efficient with your words like it was very very good yes which is hard when you're going for word count because i wrote this and i'm like whew, i'm tired and i looked at like 300 i'm like absolutely i have so many more to do <laughs> well go easy on yourself and don't worry about sounding as beautiful all of the time because you can come back and make it sound as beautiful as that because you know you're capable that's true i'm just gonna write nothing but garbage from i mean that's what i do honestly i'm all about <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> i mean that's the hardest thing for me to get used to here is just pooping it out <laughs> that's actually really the point of nano for me honestly is just to like get rid of my inner editor and just really right because I really slow myself down all year just being so critical mm-hmm. on myself going so hard on myself um, about making it sound good and beautiful well that was an issue I had with journaling because I recently tried journaling yes. again and I, I went and I read what I wrote I'm like I suck how can you because, suck at journaling well that's it it's also, not that I suck at journaling but like me as a person like I suck Because when you journal and you're just writing kind of off the cuff and you're trying to really hard document what it is that you're seeing and you're feeling and all this stuff, it's a lot of, I did this, I feel this, I, I, I. And if you read that in a novel, you'd be like, the hell is wrong with that person? Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of break yourself away from being your own reader and just get it out. Yeah, yeah. That is the point of journaling, right? Just like, just express it It's not to go back and read it later. 
I mean, you could for, you know, when you're like 80 and just, you know, go down memory yeah. lane. Hopefully by the time I'm 80, I remember, I don't remember where I hid the journals. <laughs> 10 years ago, Jen let me read one of her journals and I don't, I'm not going to talk about it here because I want to ask her if I can eventually, but they're very, it, you don't have to have a lot of space from them and that's always very funny. And I think that, I think that helps though later when you're like, look how dumb I was, you know? Well, that's fine. It was just the writing it and then the next day looking at it. I should have yes. put more space between it. Wait, more space between what? Between me writing in a journal and reading my own journal. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. I mean, if depending on what you wrote, right? Like if I wrote something really, I like I read, I went back and read one of my tumblers. Like I used to have a secret <laughs> tumbler for um, when I was really depressed. I wrote like some real sappy poetry. I went back and read it when I was, you know, mentally strong again. And I was just like, dear, dear God, what did I, oh my God, what did I write? Like, this is so humiliating and goofy. But it was, it was super healing at the time to write all that cheesy poetry. Well, and I wish there was a way that I, there, I, well, I know there is a way, the way is practice. I want to be able to tap into that kind of automatic writing headspace that I can get into when I feel mm -hmm. bad without having to destroy my own mental health to feel bad. Right. Yeah. It's, it's probably better if we don't destroy mental health just to write. That's actually a trope about writers that I hate. Yeah. And it takes a while to get over that too, especially when you're young. Yeah. And especially if you have mental health struggles. Oh um, yeah. Like yeah, I yeah. do. Right. I don't want to go into that just for writing not yeah not good no yeah there's no point in it. if you can't enjoy it then why are you doing it mm -hmm. well if it's it's healing that's one thing but to to take on a challenge like NaNoWriMo which is very grueling in a lot of ways yes. you, that's not something you should be doing to the detriment of your me mental health no yeah and there's actually Elizabeth Gilbert um she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Pray, Love. Right. Yep. Yeah. So she also wrote Big Magic, which was a book I really liked, even though there's all these jokes about how Big Pray Love is, you know, cheesy or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Big Magic was great for me because she actually addressed that stereotype of the writer who is depressed uh -huh. or struggling and, and uses that as motivation. She talks about how we should use our joy as motivation and we should be just as free then to write. And I loved that. It really resonated with me. Hannah Gatsby goes over that a little bit in uh, Nanette as well. She kind of gets to it, though, from a different direction, I think, where she kind of also is making a bigger point about patriarchy and sexual violence mm -hmm. and how that goes into it as well. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of a refreshing thing that's been happening lately where we don't we don't have to kill ourselves to create still. Yeah, definitely. The whole um, sit down at your typewriter and bleed type thing yeah yeah i mean yeah. I, I i don't feel good when i said earlier you know write drunk and copy uh, edit sober because that's that's nonsense too mm -hmm. but i mean i think those are both misattributed to hemingway half the time anyways and hemingway was never truly saying what he said the dude stopped drinking when he was 25 you know oh so he was not writing drunk and editing sober no i mean not not really not when his good stuff happened oh interesting yeah well and i think it's interesting now that we have writers like elizabeth gilbert like in a lot of ways, John Green that are sort of acting as the antithesis to the the Stephen King model, the, the uh, tortured writer, the the literally take every substance, push yourself to the most extreme, destroy your life to write and to write a lot. It's really interesting to see how many people are coming up this day to be figures for a more positive way to be a writer. Well, you see that in other, uh, I think a lot of other avenues too. I know you and I have a real Aaron Sorkin. Uh, fandom going on here and i think he was one of those last like tv writers that was like 
just stay up all night. You just cook yourself out. You just smash it out. And now you have, you know, Rachel Blue, Mindy Kaling, and people like that who who come to it from a different, more sort of um, holistic angle. You know, and it's it's a lot more pleasant. The things they produce are just as good, if not better. You know, um, maybe not mm. better, but they're just as good. Right, and my mental health is real happy about this this new trend of respecting oh, yeah. your your health while you write. Absolutely, and also validating writers who aren't struggling with mental health like you don't need to have a depression disorder in order to be a writer i'm afraid that people feel like they have nothing to say if they haven't gone through some sort of depressive episode yeah well and they can be completely unrelated because i do struggle with depression and Mm -hmm. very little that i've ever wanted to write has to do with those struggles i i don't want to write about them they are honestly yeah that make me feel good so i want to write about things that make me feel good Totally. Yes, that's so true. And honestly, if I'm actually deep in a depressive episode, that's when I'm least likely to yeah. write. Straight right. up. There's just no motivation. motivation. Yeah. Well, then how does that meld with the nano model then? Because I'm, I'm not saying that the model encourages this, but 1,600 words a day is a lot. And if you're working full time, that's a lot. If you have a family, that's a lot. If you're doing mm-hmm. anything else, that's a lot. So it does force yourself to sort of redline. Yeah, I actually talked about this on the Seattle Region forums because I was kind of feeling overwhelmed and I got some really great feedback from the writers there. Mm. They just really said, like, dude, your health matters more. Like, the goal is there and it's really great, but it if it hurts you to reach that, then don't hurt yourself. Take care of yourself. Mm. You matter way more than 50,000 words. I mean, that said, you'd be surprised how achievable 1600 is when you really do go easy on yourself and stop um, criticizing your own writing mm-hmm. and just like letting yourself dump it out. Like it really actually does become a lot easier. Uh-huh. But if on a certain day that's not achievable for you, that's okay. You don't have to win. Just stick with it. Uh-huh. Well, and Jesse, you found today that, you know, you weren't way over your word count goal, but you were over it. And oh, you yeah. Were like it makes my, you know, I have a little bit less to do every day. And, you know, that little bit of getting ahead on accident sort of alleviated potential stress down the road. It may give you a day in the future where when you're not feeling it, you don't feel like you're losing anything. Yeah. Today, my big issue was I felt like I was not, I was writing a lot and I felt like I was doing a lot of heavy lifting and I would look down at the word counter. I'm like, oh, I went 400. That took me 400 words. That was it. And then I kind of had to push through it and I would push through it and I'd be like, I still have a thousand words still. And then I kind of just kept doing it and I looked down and I'm like, oh, now I'm 300 words over. So it's just one of those things that it does seem like a lot until it doesn't seem like a lot. Do you guys write with your word counter on or off? I leave mine off. I didn't even know I was allowed to turn it off. I didn't know you could turn it on. (laughs) Mine's always on, but I've been been working full time in jobs where I had to have a word counter up because I was oh. I had to write something for a certain amount. So I didn't even think about that. Is it with Google Drive that you have the word counter up? I'm on Word. Oh, just uh, Word. Okay. Oh yeah. So with Word it is always up actually. And there's I probably was, a way to turn that off. Yeah, Word's pretty customizable. Yeah, I use Google Drive because I want my stuff to automatically back up and I don't want to lose stuff. I've lost entire novels that I wrote in now NaNoWriMo. Uh so that sucked. I was curious about doing that a little bit, though, because do you do you work? Because I think you use public transportation, right? Me? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. So do you do things on your phone or anything like that? Oh, or is yeah. that just mm-hmm. too difficult? Yep. I'm just like the writer of Fifty Shades of Grey who wrote the entire novel on her Blackberry. Oh, yeah, James. What? I had yep. no idea. Yep. Can you definitely tell? A, definitely a Blackberry book. Did what? you hear about the Christmas book she wrote, but she changed her name to ELF James? 
Oh, okay. Is that a joke? I've been making that joke on Facebook every year for the past <laughs> eight years. And nobody ever likes it. And I was I'm like very proud of it. Good to know. It still I didn't work. even laugh a little, Jesse. I was like, yeah, no. oh. It's more like okay. a visual gag. <laughs> I, I watched a pretty good um, YouTube series uh, dissecting her writing style. And it was really cool, actually. And it was kind of a lukewarm defense. That was literally the title. Anyhow, uh, don't want to get too off track. <laughs> I was going off on there. So that'll do it for the first episode of Write Sweats. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. Recommend us to your friends. And always remember that Carpal Tunnel is a bitch. So don't forget to take breaks and stretch your wrist. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye.